0: Are you enjoying The Strange Chronicles? Would you like us to make a season two? If so, please help us spread the word. Tell your friends, family, or anyone you think would love it. You can join our mailing list at thestrangechronicles.com or email us at info at Please enjoy the show. I'm Grey Cooper, private detective. According to the Department of Homeland Security, my business doesn't exist. But according to the blockchain, a government address pays my bills. The following are the recordings of my case log, for insurance purposes, you understand. See, I deal in the strange, the place where monsters and conspiracies dance, the kind of strange you're not quite sure is real or unreal. Officially, the following case did not happen. I told you nothing. Welcome to the Strange Chronicles. Case Log 943, November 20th, year 2053, Salem, Massachusetts. Missing Persons, Joe Nebraska. And Detective Woodman Cooper. My dad. I reconnected with dad even though he'd ghosted me on our vacation plans. When I told him about Joe and Zeke over the phone, he said if Zeke had inhabited Joe to the point of choosing clothing and morphing in public, then Joe didn't have much time left. Dad said he'd call a friend to help and get back to me. That was two days ago. I hadn't heard from him since. I started in the only place I could think of to get some answers Dad's office. Detective Woodman Cooper. He taught me everything I knew. And then one day he disappeared. For 10 years. I had no idea what happened to him. When mom died, that's when I met Joe. He helped me find dad. We were lucky to have made it out of that situation alive. When I arrived at my father's office, he wasn't there. I found a plate of half-eaten chicken parmesan on his desk, and a beer spilled on the floor. Something had definitely happened here. Dad would never waste a beer. I took a look at the papers on his desk. Looks like he was sniffing around an old case. You never stop being a detective, even in retirement. Says he spends his days sorting out his unsolved cases, tying up loose ends. I picked up his old desk phone, and to my surprise, there was a dial tone. Old dogs with old tech. I hit the redial just for kicks, and of all things, I heard the voicemail from a church. All Saints of Salem. I arrived at the church just after dark. Only a sliver of light left on the horizon. It was a small yellow building with a pointy roof. I turned my lights on to make sure, but I was right. It was Dad's car parked outside. That was supposed to be a good sign. When I got out, I peeked into the driver's side window, and everything looked just as messy as I expected. Paperwork on the seat, unfinished coffee in the cup holder. I looked up at the church and wondered, what would he be doing here? As I approached the entrance, something felt wrong. Inside, I found the place empty, and the large cross at the back of the altar had been knocked over on its side. Hello? Hello? I called out, no response. I was about to knock on the door to the sacristy when a man exited. He was very tall and introduced himself as Ned. Ned told me that a man had been there, but left an hour ago. I pointed out that his car was still parked outside, and he said maybe he had wandered up the hill to the cemetery. When I asked why the cross was knocked over, he rushed over to fix it and asked me to help. He said it happened sometimes. He guessed it was because Metatron was upset. We got it back up, and he explained that he was the property caretaker of the church. He thanked me for the assistance. But who was Metatron? An angel, and he pointed out the window to a statue. I made my way up the hill to the cemetery behind the church. The light was gone now, so I flipped on the torch from my Compu device. The stone statue stood at the top of the path. I hadn't prepared for this, and the boots I was wearing were geared more toward breaking hearts than breaking necks which didn't make for a comfortable climb. Dad? He wasn't there, so I looked around a bit. I stood before the stone angel Metatron. She stood in contemplation, wings drawn. Something about it made it hard to break eye contact with it. But after a beat, I broke away and saw something on the ground in front of her, a matchbox from the gunslinger. I pocketed it knowing it was a sign from Joe. They were here. I see you found Metatron, a voice said as I turned to find Ned. Instinctively, I put my hand on the trusty baton in my pocket. He offered me a small laminated card with a painting of Metatron. Under the painting were the words, When it is dark, look up to the light, and I will guide ye. He told me this was their proudest statue, that Metatron is the angel of mediation and provides guidance to lost souls. I asked if he saw my father. He said he wasn't sure, but he did pass two men coming down the hill as he was traveling up on the other side. Wait, now? I thanked him and jogged to the edge of the hill. I saw them. Two men. Too small to make out who? Dad and Joe? I yelled out, but they ducked into Dad's car. Down the hill I went. My poor choice in footwear came back to bite me and I slipped hard on the ground, scraping the palms of my hands as I caught myself. I finally made it back down to the parking lot, just in time to see Dad's car pull away. I jumped into Hero to give chase, but when I turned the key, nothing happened. I got out and opened the trunk. The wires to the battery had been cut. After Ned helped me rig the connection using cables from an old electric lawnmower, I was back in business. At least he was more helpful than offering his thoughts and prayers. I never did pick up the trail of Dad's car, I knew I'd have to start again from square one. I headed back to dad's office, hoping that's where they went. No dice. I lingered a bit, rifling through some of the papers on his desk. And then I had an idea. I went to the file cabinets and scrolled for Z. I found a drive with Zeke's name and clicked on it. A hologram image of text appeared in front of me. Much of the info was a rehash of things I already knew. One thing stood out though. A note dad wrote. I could tell it was his typing with every other word misspelled. Zeke is simple, driven solely by selfish desires. He doesn't stray too far from the task in front of him. Remember that he may tip his own hand. That got me thinking. Where would he go that is simple, a no-brainer? Joe's place. When no one answered, I used my spare key. Empty. In fact, the place looked completely untouched. A thick layer of dust had settled on the kitchen table. It would have been too easy, I suppose. No Joe, no Zeke, no Dad. But I had noticed a shadow change under the door next door, so I tried the neighbor. I saw the eyehole go from dark to light, and the door opened a crack with a chain lock still latched. Margot. She's the same neighbor who took his mail when he was out of town. Now I realize, of course, that that was Zeke the entire time, that Joe was not visiting his brother. Joe wasn't there anymore, she said. He left a short time before I arrived, though. Said he looked strange, all covered up, sunglasses, hat, and that red jacket. He was alone. I almost thanked Margot for being so nosy, but I didn't want her to take my insult as an insult. Back in the driver's seat of Hero, I sit for a minute, fidgeting with the matchbox as I try to think. I open it and riffle through the matches. When I see something blue, I dump the matches. There's a note scribbled in the box. Joe's handwriting. Gray, go back to the beginning. Back to the beginning? The beginning of what? Of all this, what happened with Zeke? And then I knew exactly what the note meant. I remembered. The day of my mother's funeral, I had thought I was an orphan, abandoned. I was miserable. When I felt like I was drowning in grief, working with Joe brought me back from the brink. Then I knew where to go for help. I put the matches back into the box and changed out of those boots. I parked in the darkness at the public beach parking, desolate in the wintertime. It was quiet. Even the seagulls had left. I sat on a bench engraved with my mother's memory and looked out at the frigid ocean and watched my breath mystify around me. And then a yell broke the spell. It came from behind me, from the trees across the road. I left my mother's bench and ran. As I got close, I heard them. Dad and Joe. Not Joe. Zeke. I snooped around a tree and saw Dad was tied to a stake in the ground. He was cussing at Joe, warning him that I was on my way.
1: Nothing can save you now, woody boy.
0: It looked like Zeke was setting up dad in some sort of ritual sacrifice, placing stones on the ground, just like FOTOR had in that case in Washington. Zeke sneered with Joe's mouth.
1: Gray will be too late.
0: I hated to crush his expectations, but chose to jump out at that moment with my revolver. Let him go.
1: Which one? What if I let you pick the one who will live? Who does Gray Cooper love more?
0: Joe, listen to me.
1: Joe's not here.
0: Joe, I know you can hear me. We're going to save you.
1: What if I told you Joe is already dead?
0: Joe, remember the case with the werewolf lady. What? Remember when we drove back from upstate, after the comet. No! Zeke fell to his knees in pain. I rushed over to untie dad. While Zeke clutched his head, the Metatron card fell out of my pocket. I looked at Zeke's sunglasses despite the late hour. Look up to the light. We needed light. Joe was helping me all along. The matchbox. I lit one of the matches. The small flame was purple. I said the Metatron quote aloud. When it is dark, look up to the light, and I will guide ye. The flame became a purple ball of fire in my hand. Zeke screamed, pulling off his glasses, and the red jacket burst into purple flames. He was withering, but that meant so was Joe. I took off my trench and tossed it over him. When we uncovered him, I could see in his eyes that it was Joe again. We took Joe Nebraska to the hospital, and despite some decent burns, he's going to be all right. They patched up my hand too. When he and Zeke were in a mind meld, Joe was able to see exactly how Zeke was able to come back, even though he had been essentially destroyed.
1: He wanted revenge on you, Gray, for rescuing Woody. That night when we vanquished him, a piece of him went into all of us. He was banished from his earthly presence, but then he found his way back through alien means. The blue dust. That case in Kansas? I went out to help you. It was a mistake. When I got to the scene you'd already left, I took some of the dust for evidence. Zeke was in that dust. He waited for his moment. I inhaled the dust. It was all he needed to grow the seed of himself already stowing away inside of me. He needed time to fully take over my body. He needed me to stay away from you. I convinced him to meet for drinks. I wanted to leave you a clue show you it was not me in this body. And it wasn't, by the way. That guy was a sicko.
0: I'm so sorry, Joe.
1: You're my partner, Gray. I'd do it again in an instant.
0: You're a good egg, Joe. So I got a call for another case. You think you'd be up for it?
1: Tell me where.
0: We all face demons in our lives. Hopefully for you, they won't be actual demons from the underworld. But no matter how dark the alleyways in your life get, some punk will turn on a light somewhere. It's all temporary. The ups, the downs, this life. So get yourself some cinnamon candy, a loyal sidekick, and I'll be out here working the cases of the Strange Chronicles. Stop. This has been an episode of The Strange Chronicles, a fiction podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at the Strange Chronicles Podcast, or email us at info at infothestrangechronicles.com. This has been a Kings of Content production. Thank you for listening.